Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Look up listeners, welcome back to part two of my conversation with my mentor and friend, Benjamin Shirelli. For those of you who don't remember, Ben is the founder and CEO of Celebre, a cellular agriculture company that is ushering in the next great industrial revolution by treating biology as a manufacturing technology, turning cells into specialized, sustainable factories for the manufacture of globally significant products at scale. Disclaimer, I am an investor in Celebre, and so I have a little bit of skin in the game. Uh, but in the first conversation, Ben and I really focused on uh, the more human side of things, you know, the character traits that make Ben who he is and why he's so special. And I think he has so much to offer uh, folks just on that level that we ended up diving into that for about 45 minutes before we were able to even get to Celebre uh, and kind of the great work that they're doing over there. So just a little bit more about the company. Um, Celebre employs an organism agnostic approach to turn cells into specialized sustainable factories for the manufacture of globally significant products at scale. Celebre's world-class scientific team has led programs from napkin to commercial, pioneering revolutionary breakthroughs in energy, ingredients, medicines, and more. The company's initial strategic focus will be deploying its expertise to enable the production of pharmaceutical-grade cannabinoids, which are the compounds found in cannabis plants, alleviating the need for agriculture entirely and revolutionizing the way cannabinoid-based medicines are sourced, produced, and consumed. So in short... The company basically manufactures CBD, THC, lipids, and other compounds of the 400 compounds that the cannabis plant produces. They do it in a lab. Um, they do it sustainably. More cost, eventually at scale, it'll be more cost effective than growing cannabis and much more energy efficient. Uh, and therefore people will be, have, will have access to these medicines at a lower cost. Um, Ben's done a ton of things before this. He worked for Craig Ventner, uh, who's a Nobel laureate, Dr. Ham Smith, um, when Ben was the vice president of corporate development and strategy at Synthetic Genomics, who is a pioneer uh, company in this kind of cells as manufacturing facilities. So I don't know. We talk a lot about the future of the world um, when we no longer are coding bits, but we're coding atoms. Uh, DNA is kind of the, the source code for all, uh, life and our ability to manipulate that. How little we really know about all this, um, technology so far and really what the potential is in the future. Um, I think that Ben's journey is super interesting from investment banker to working at synthetic genomics to, uh, building this company. Uh, I think you will too. So I'm going to pause here because we've already done one half of the episode uh, previously, and you know a bunch about Ben already. If you haven't listened to that one, check it out. Uh, otherwise, continue on with this one, and you'll learn a lot more about Celebre and the future of cellular agriculture.
so you moved into this industry and like, I guess at the time, you know, you had been at synthetic genomics for, for how long, like three or four years at that couple point? A couple years. Yeah. couple years. couple Probably years. Two. And so you were starting, you were probably like in kind of like molecular biology, you were probably be- becoming proficient, you know, for, you do have an engineering background, um, but not necessarily like a biotech background. So you also, I feel like had to teach yourself an entire outside of cannabis, like an entire industry that's highly scientific and surround yourself with people that are scientists. Like what's, what's that like? That's the second one, dude. So the other selfish thing about always being responsive and always helping people and always trying to connect dots is you build, you know, so people are trying to connect brain with computer, right? So that you can access all information at any time. Right. And and do yeah, crazy things beyond that. Um, I do that in real life. So if you brought me a topic, I within a half hour would be connected to a world expert, period. So this is another thing. <laughs> this is another thing selfishly, right, that that I've tried to do is you can't possibly know even even one topic. You can't possibly know everything, let alone a breadth of topics, right? So I help every entrepreneur that I can and every startup founder that's raising seed money or series A money because they're probably doing something pretty cool. They're probably pretty darn darn smart. And once they're out there in the universe and they they remember me, if I ever have a question, I can just hit them up and be like, hey, remember, I remember that you do this. I had a question on it. Can I ask you? So I'll give you a great example. I have I had a guy email me yesterday and he said, hey, I'm raising a seed round for CAR T cell therapy for dogs. So basically cancer immunotherapy, cell therapies for animals. And I said, interesting. I know a couple of people that are doing that. And he goes, well, I'm looking for investment. I think one of your buddies might want to invest, which is why he connected us. I know that you're in gene editing and and synthetic biology. And I said, I can barely spell those things, but let me make an (laughs) email introduction. So I connected him with my friend, (laughs) I saw the documents that you guys put together for Celebre. (laughs) Well, I have smart people here, dude. So I connect him with my friend, Sean and Sean literally engineers pigs to be organ donors for humans. Like there's nobody that knows more about engineering these cells, right? So Sean does crazy stuff. He works for a woman named Martine Rothblatt, who you may know. Martine founded Sirius XM radio and is now, she's the CEO of, uh, of United Therapeutics. And Sean is like brilliant. So I was like, yo, Sean, can you take a look at this and just let me know? Right. Um, to me, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know people who kind of understand these things and always be inquisitive. Right. So you'll hear me talk the talk on my company, but I don't really know the nuts and bolts. You surround yourself with people that know the nuts. Well, how do you, how do you, so one of the key roles that I I found is investing in companies, one of the, the, unglamorous roles of being a CEO that people don't speak about is like, is hiring. You need to hire people. And like, I struggle with this in crypto too. Like I'm trying to hire, you know, engineers sometimes. And I'm just like, I don't truly understand like the deepest layer of the stack from a tech standpoint. And so how can you hire someone that, you know, knows so much more than you about the subject matter that you're hiring them to address? That is a really good question for founders. And I would put it on the other side of the equation too. Technical founders do not understand how to storytell, do not understand accounting, do not understand fundraising to the same depth that we don't understand 
the technical side of the equation, right? So I think one of the really important things, especially as we move away from kind of the BS crap that venture capital has been investing in as they move more and more towards growth equity and aren't really taking risk on anything that's novel or kind of game changing, is that we have to find a way to kind of marry technical founders and business founders from the jump. And I actually have a buddy uh, named Greg Corona, who is the founder of Paladin. He works with a guy named Paul Connolly. They're doing this out of Michigan. Um, there are a couple of venture firms in biotech who literally go into academic universities, take some IP, put 60 million bucks on the balance sheet, take 90% of the company and give the founders like 10%. They basically take the whole company. And those guys said, that's a ridiculous model. Like we need to stop that. We need to give massive upside to these scientists and these founders, but we have to connect the technical with the business. So these guys, I think they're probably like 10 or 12 companies deep. They're awesome folks. And they're just really trying to find great technical ideas and then match that with their network of business people so that you have a business person and a technical person that understand each other. And now those two people have the deep expertise in their domains to start doing the hiring, right? If I had to do the hiring for Celebre myself, forget about it, right? Mm. Um, my two co-founders were not the first two folks that I talked to about this idea and leaving at Synthetic Genomics. I talked to people who were higher up on the food chain. Right. And every single woman and man that I talked to, they said, you need Nikki and you need Spiros. Those are your guys. And, you know, it's a 250 person organization. I had no idea. So mm. I went in and I had interacted with them a little bit just because I interact with everybody. But I got to know them and I got to know them both as people and, and saw from their peers that they thought that they were very high in technical acumen. And I said, you guys are the guys. And they, you know, they came along and 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 hired the technical aspect. So I think you kind of have to start at the beginning from a place of augmenting skill sets and understanding what do we actually need to build a business here? And how do we make sure from the jump that the founders kind of have the trust between one another, but also the expertise to kind of build out the team to do the actual work? And then from, so we go from hiring and finding key people to like managing, mm -hmm. right? Like. And well, actually, you know what, I'm going to pause instead of <clears throat> talking about it, what I think the work is, you know, like, what does your role entail? Like, what would you say are like the most important elements of the job that you do as a founder of this company, as the non-technical founder of this company? Yeah. So literally my only role is to fuel the gas tank. And, and I mean that both from a dollars in the bank perspective to ensure that the team has the appropriate resources to actually execute on what they're doing, but also fuel the gas tank culturally and ensure that people are happy. And this is a, you know, this is kind of a great managing people um, thing. It, and maybe it goes to me trusting people way, way too much. But um, and, and scientists actually get really freaked out about this. We have no structure at our company. There's no such mm -hmm. thing as a holiday. There's no such thing as a vacation. There's no such thing as a weekend. It is literally, we have a job to do, let's get it done. And if something comes up in your life where you need to be gone for a week and a half, go do it. So COVID's a great example. Uh, you know, I'm in California where everybody was yelling at each other to wear a mask and shut down and don't do anything. And, and we're scared, we're scared, we're scared. Um, other <laughs> places were screw the mask. Let's go out and do a group hug every morning, right? Um, in the country. And I came in and I said, look, um, I have no idea what's going on. I don't think any of us have an idea what's going on. And uh, it is not my job as, you know, CEO of this company, your coworker, your friend to say, here's how you need to manage your family and your life through a pandemic. So here's our company policy. I would love for everybody to come in and work. 
try and stay separated, wear a mask. But if you are anxious in any way, stay home for a year and I'll keep paying you. I don't care. And by the way, we're a startup. That's kind of a hard thing to say. Like it's easier if you're Pfizer or GM, but like everything mattered for us. But I just fundamentally said, like, we've got to put people's lives before the company, period. We just have to do it that way um, and put our trust in them, right? And I'm not kidding you, Mark. We have not been shut down for one freaking day. We were, we were labeled uh, as ne necessary in the state of California for chemical production, cannabis, and biotech. So we were allowed to remain open. Um, nice. And literally every gal and girl here was in every day distancing, making sure we were doing things properly. And I think it's because they said, you know what, like if I feel anxious, I, I literally know that Ben, Nikki, Spiro, Scott, the founders of the company, they won't care. If I need to stay home, they won't care as long as I communicate with them and, and I'm honest, like they've got my back. So like I have to have their back, right? It's kind of like that psychology experiment where you take away vacation and people actually take less vacation as a result of not having vacation because they feel some, you know, to go back to where we were earlier, some debt to the employer or some debt to their coworkers where they say, mm -hmm. oh my God, if I'm gone too long and leave my team too long, what's going to happen? So I think there was a little bit of that psychology at play, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I approach everything, not just the business, which is, you know, you got to let people live their own lives and, and, and figure out what gets them to their happy and then fill in the gaps with everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you, um, how do you balance raising two sons and raising a, a company? Oh boy. Um, so, uh, first you got to have a, a very strong and dedicated and loving mom in the picture. Right. Um, mm. I think one of the saddest things about society as a whole, um, and it starts in poor communities, but it's slowly matriculating uh, to become more, more and more problematic throughout society is this idea that kids are okay if they don't have a, a loving mother and a loving father around. Um, I think that's one of the biggest kind of new psychological things that people are saying, oh, you can be okay. Um, you, you drastically hurt yourself if you don't have two parents who give a shit about you, period. Uh, you know, my mom was a public school teacher and year after year after year, no matter how smart the kid was, no matter how driven the kid was, if mom and dad didn't care, that student wasn't doing well. Right. So I think raising kids is the single biggest form of partnership, um, you know, that you could possibly think of. And, you know, whether that's mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad totally indifferent. Uh, but I think it's important to have some sort of partnership there because there's going to be times when one parent just can't be there. Right. Um, you know, secondarily to that, um, I, I, every morning, um, have it recently cause actually mom's in town. So, you know, I got to come into the office a little bit earlier, but I, um, I take my oldest to school every day. I make them breakfast every morning. Um, I'm home for dinner every night and every night, I read my kids books unless my, you know, unless the, unless mom wants to do that stuff. Um, and I don't do any of the work stuff responding to, you know, SEO services on LinkedIn until everybody's passed out, including the boss. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, so I make sure that, you know, while mentally I'm not always there, right. My mind's in a hundred different places. And sometimes, sometimes I'm asked quite often to just please be present. Um, that's hard for me mentally. It's some, it's a place mm, where I really, really have challenges. But I think, uh, 
You know, ultimately, you know, my weekends, I don't come into the office on the weekends. I'm doing whatever the the dudes want to do. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of cut out your time. Um, but, you know, when I'm at work, it's all work all the time. Um, and, you know, if I could do it in the off hours, I'm doing it in the off hours. Honestly, if you're efficient with your time and you're not screwing around um, and you have the right people around you to execute things, you can be efficient, right? Like there's all these, the, the, the quote unquote hustle culture, um, you know, where everybody thinks you need to work 18 hours a day to be successful is nonsense. Like you might have those weeks, but you don't need to do that to be successful, manage your time appropriately. And more importantly, manage expectations appropriately, right? Whether that be with employees or investors, when you're doing the business thing, you know, I thought the smartest thing Jeff Bezos ever did was he looked investors dead in the eye and said, I'm not going to be profitable. And if you want me to be profitable, sell your shares, right? Like that's probably pretty freaky for some CEOs to, to look them in the face and say that. And, and I'll be honest, I, that stuck with me. And I tell our investors all the time, if you're waiting for Q3 revenue, don't invest in us. Like we are fundamentally flipping a supply chain on its head before it gets started. We have big visions of grandeur of reinventing how we make things as humanity. If you're not bought into that, then you're not bought into this. Like, stop worrying about you know the incremental quarter to quarter. What does your burn look like, right? Um, so, I think a lot of it is communication, and I think a lot of it is setting perspective. Um, but also just making sure that, you know, what are your priorities in life, whether it be, you know, whether it be family, whether it be work, whether it be self-care and time for yourself and set yourself, set yourself up for success in those things and make sure that you're shutting it off and, and handling what you need to handle when you need to. Do you make to-do lists? Every day, uh, but mainly because I'm old. I, I'd forget. <laughs> I, I, I would literally forget. Do you so, just do old fashioned pen and paper? Or do you do like so, Notion or? I mean, you're not doing video, but I'll show it to you. I have this little white pad. It's yeah. like a whiteboard pad. So every single call that I do, I'm, I take notes on the white pad of who can I connect this person with? What introductions would mm. be interesting? What should I follow up with them on? And then I, I make a note of that later. And every night before I leave, I make a to-do list of the stuff I want to get done the next day. And I don't stop until I get those things done. And you're going to have things that kind of mess you up, right? But if I have to be home for dinner, I'll take the to-do list home with me. And when everybody's asleep, I'll, I'll bang it out and be done with it. That way, when I come in the next morning, I'm not behind the eight ball. Right. And don't make them unachievable. Like, don't think that you have to conquer the world every single day. Right. Like the one or two things that incrementally move you forward a little bit. But yeah, I take notes on everything because I'm an idiot and I would forget. So you're you're fundamentally flipping supply chains on their head. We yeah. haven't really spoken about kind of the work, right? The company work. We've spoken about some personal stuff. We've spoken about kind of people stuff, yeah. which I think is important. And that's mostly what this podcast is about. But I also think that a lot of listeners are kind of interested in the future. You know, and they're interested in what technology can bring to the future. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I invested, well, besides you, I think it was obviously a person, person investment because just, you know, listen to this guy, obviously, like yeah. this guy's going to move mountains for everyone. Like it's fucking insane. Um, but you have terrible, you just have terrible judgment. I have Let's be honest. horrible. Yeah. That's true. I also yeah, have horrible terrible. judgment, but yeah, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it, I, I think like Pete, Peter Thiel and Founders Fund and, and Eric Weinstein, my namesake, we talk, they talk often about kind of like we've innovated in the world of, of um, bits, but not in the world of atoms. 
And so like one thing I find really fascinating about what you're building is like you, when you think about DNA as code, you're innovating in the world of atoms. So like, what are you doing and yeah. where does it take us? Yeah. So I got lucky. There's another investor by the name of Steve Jurvetson who founded a venture fund called Draper Fisher Jurvetson. And Steve was the first investor, I think, in Hotmail and Tesla and SpaceX and all kinds of things. And Steve was one of our board members at Synthetic Genomics, uh, along with Barry Schuler, uh, who's still at DFJ on the growth side. Barry was actually the CEO of, uh, CEO of AOL. Um, shout out to Barry Schuler's uh, shoe collection. Totally on point. He has the best... <laughs> Chuck Taylor collection of anybody I've ever met. Um, but Steve was a lot like that too, right? Um, the, the, those types of folks do not want to, it, 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 like Steve would not look at something unless it was an outlandish idea. I'll tell you another fund that's kind of like that, who I've gotten to really love is Lux Capital, Shahin and oh, Adam. Yeah. The guy who runs that is a guy named Josh Wolf. Shout oh, yeah. out to Josh Wolf's minivan. He drives a minivan, which is awesome. Um, they're like this as well. Um, I've listened to every podcast with, with Josh. I'm super, uh, super, yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of theirs, although they keep Fan passing boy. on. Yeah, yeah, they keep passing on me though, so I don't think they're that smart. Um, and you can post that. <laughs> They'll uh, get it eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no, no. But in all seriousness, folks like that are are pretty inspiring, right? So, you know, what we're doing is, um, if you take a look at what our problems are as humanity, it's really what is our footprint on our ecosystem. Right. Um, how much are we impacting this big rock that we're floating on around in space? Right. And and the more we can minimize that and kind of be harmonious uh, with what's around us, I think the better off we're going to be. So this idea of sustainability is nothing novel. Right. I think the issue with how we talk about sustainability is we do it in a really superficial way. So, for instance, I find Bill Gates to be one of the most annoying human beings on the planet right now because he talks <laughs> in these like big, these big, like for instance, he said, if we put all the cows onto one island and they were their own country, they'd be the third largest polluter in the world because they fart and they make a lot of methane. Well, Bill, that's technically true, but do you know that cows are also very important for the agricultural process and provide a bunch of things back into the soil for plant growth and are important for ecosystems? And do you know about the things we've done in regenerative agriculture and, and how all of these things kind of play on one another, right? So I think we often take a really superficial view of these things. I think there's a lot of technologies out now, but I'll use one from before that failed rather than kind of poop who, what people are doing now, and that is the biofuels era. We once thought we were going to be able to remove the need to drill oil from the ground by using algae to per, to provide fuel for cars and planes and trucks, right? Um, one today, we think that electric vehicles are sustainable when our electricity comes from coal-fired power plants and lithium mines are the most disgusting things on the planet, right? We think about these yeah. things really superficially. So if you think about what nature is and more fundamentally what biology is, it's the world's most elegant manufacturing tech. That's what it is. Every single cell on the planet 
think about it as a little mini facility. And that facility has assembly lines in it, which are taking nutrients from the environment, whether that be nutrients from your body or food that you eat or nutrients from the soil. And those assembly lines are converting those nutrients into both energy and growth for the living organism itself, but also converting it into products. So COVID-19 is a great example, right? When when people get COVID-19, your body sees a threat and miraculously your body makes medicine. Like forget going to CVS, your body makes antibodies that fight off disease. Happens every single day. That's astounding if you think about it, right? In those terms. Flowers, if you're walking through a park and you go up to a flower and you smell it, you're like, wow, that smells nice. Well, that's because those little cell factories that are the flower cells are producing fragrances from nutrients in water, right? That's astounding. And when I came across the cannabis plant, my mind was completely blown. The cannabis plant manufactures over 400 chemicals. We know THC because it gets you high and CBD because people are using it in literally every product known to man, including pillows for some god awful reason. But there are 400 chemicals in there, right? There's there's flavors and, and terpenes like limamine. Uh, there are other things like THC and CBD called cannabinoids like CBN and THCV that do all of these really interesting things. But that cell in the cannabis plant is making 400 of them, right? If you went to Dow DuPont or BASF or one of these big chemical companies and you were like, hey, I want to make these 400 chemicals, they would say, great, let's spend the next 10 years building 400 facilities for approximately $11 trillion, and then we'll be able to manufacture those at scale. <laughs> Meanwhile, this little thing that you can barely see under a microscope called the cannabis plant cell is making all 400 at the same time from nutrients from the soil. Like, this is what's around us, right? Like, get out of your Instagram for four seconds and look around at what's really happening. So I just became obsessed with this idea of you know, for lack of a better term, programming the physical world, moving away from programming a computer ones and zeros to moving into cells and what is the code of life DNA, right? A, C's, T's, and G's, these little chemicals that form our DNA code and the DNA code of everything on the planet, which effectively is the code. And, and, and what we found now is, and the tools have gotten so good, the compute has gotten so good, that we literally have moved from an age of reading DNA, where you can get your genome tested and you can have your 23andMe test, to writing DNA, from reading the novel to writing the novel. And what that ultimately means is we can take really simple organisms like a yeast cell, and we can fundamentally reprogram those cells to produce almost a limitless number of products. So go ahead. We're, I, I just want to pause. If we are, if we have moved from reading to writing, um, have we yet moved from kind of like pen, like quill and ink to printing press or like, where are we in that process? Yeah, I would say we're not at the, you know, the personal computer where everybody can type on the more sophisticated applications, actually, this will get into the more scary part of this, right? Is that you can literally engineer everything. And there's some pretty scary stuff you can do with this technology as well. Um, but I would say we've moved from kind of the pen dipping in the ink to the, to the ballpoint pen on our way to the typewriter. Uh, it's kind okay, of where cool. we are, where we're not though, is understanding this stuff, 
right? So everybody likes to talk about how we understand all this crap and let's automate it. Let's get a bunch of robots. I sat next to a guy named Dan Gibson when I was at Synthetic Genomics. And Dan is now at a company called Codex DNA that just went public. So shout out to that entire team. Um, And Dan did some work with Craig called The Minimal Cell. And you probably got a bunch of young kids listening to your podcast too, so they won't even know what I'm talking about with part of this. But Dan basically took the simplest organism on the planet and he took out all the genetic code that wasn't required for life. So he pulled out all of kind of what what we would refer to as kind of the buildup of of function over over time to get to a cell that just divided and thrived when you gave it nutrients, the minimal form of life. And he called it the minimal cell. Um, He then defragmented that cell. And if you remember defragging your computer, right? Yeah. Have Windows, the little, right? The little yeah. like I, pie yeah. chart that just gets broken into pieces. And the little bars and the and the colors <laughs> moving together. Um, everybody should Google that if you never had to defrag your computer so you can understand how terrible life was uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but, but he did that with a cell. And basically what defragging was, it was taking all the functions, right? And putting them together in the computer so it made it easier for that computer to access them. So Dan did the same thing with, life, right? He literally defragged life so that all the functions for that cell were kind of together and we knew what they were. And the purpose for that was to say, well, what don't we know? And Dan literally, base pair by base pair, gene by gene, took the things out of the cell that he knew we didn't need for life. And over half of it, we still have no idea what it does. So now we think we're going (laughs) to unpack a human being. Like, are we crazy? We don't even know what half of this little microbe is when we designed and engineered the whole thing from scratch and why this stuff is is required for life. We just know that it's required. And now we're going to move to automating the production of cells for all these crazy applications, right? It's just insanity. But that being said, we do have an easier way to kind of design, build, test now, right? I'm sure everybody's heard of things like CRISPR, Cas9, and gene editing world. If you haven't, you can go to Google. Jennifer um, just won the Nobel Prize for that wildly brilliant scientist out of the the Cal University system. Um, effectively, what CRISPR is is a pair of scissors. Like this is the big, the big thing. And going back to your analogy of like quill pen, typewriter, printing press. Literally, the big discovery for us was a pair of scissors that allows you to cut DNA. That's where that's where we are, right? From a, <laughs> from a technology perspective, it's it's wildly more sophisticated, elegant, and neat than that. But but that's kind of what CRISPR is, right? So if if you take it back to what we do at Celebrate, it's actually a really good example. So think about that cannabis plant. That cell makes four hundred chemicals. So think about the the cannabis cell as the factory, and inside there are four hundred assembly lines. And each one of those assembly lines makes a different product with the nutrients from the soil, the water, and the sunlight. One assembly line makes CBD, another one makes limamine, the next one makes THC. What we now can do is go into that cannabis cell and literally pop out that assembly line for CBD and then move it over to a cell like yeast and pop it into yeast. And then in a brewery, like anything, you know, any brewery they've ever been in, we ferment those yeast feed them sugar water, but instead of beer coming out the back end, they now make pure natural CBD and you remove the need for agriculture completely from the supply chain. And and the reason that this is interesting is um, first and foremost, you have a plant that makes 400 chemicals simultaneously, never the same. So if you want it to be medicine or you want it to be wellness, or even if you want to use it recreationally just to get high, your experience is going to differ 
from product to product, even if it's the same brand, same label, and sometimes the same packaging. So what we're allowing people to do is literally scale their experience as product developers. Start treating this truly as an ingredient. And, and when we talk about the implications there, um, for us, it was number one is the supply chain a mess. And actually growing this plant is a big, a big pain in the hind end. But number two, what's the footprint? How is this plant interacting and how, how when we grow it, how are we uh, impacting our ecosystem? Because for us, I want to know, does the supply chain suck? Can we make it more sustainable? And can we make it better, cheaper, more convenient? Because better, cheaper, more convenient means business success. And when we started digging in, and thank God there was actually a paper written by a third party recently in Nature, growing one kilogram of dried cannabis in the U.S., is the equivalent from a greenhouse gas perspective of driving your car around for an entire year. Put that in perspective. One kilogram. One kilogram of dried wow. flour. It's a nothing burger. Right now, the cannabis industry uses eight to 10 times more energy and resources than the entire pharmaceutical industry combined. So what our technology is going to allow people to do is to take these massive greenhouses you know, 5 million square feet of greenhouse and extraction space. And we'll be able to do that same volume per annum in less than 50,000 square feet with recycled water, with a lower energy, with lower arable land. And more importantly, getting these medicines and these molecules and these wellness products to the people who really need them, right? Like, you know, there's a great brand out there, Can, uh, who makes a great TH, low, low microdose THC product. Um, it's super expensive, right? The 24 pack is like $80 compared to, you know, other stuff that you would buy. And the reason is there's a lot of regulatory, there's a lot of costs, the THC that they put in is expensive, yada, yada, yada. And celebrities in LA love it. They love it. You know who can't have that? <laughs> the farmer or the kid in the inner city that doesn't want to drink beer, doesn't want to drink vodka and just wants to relax on the weekend, can't afford that. So when we're thinking about CBD, who needs it? Is it the person that wants to go do a facial with a CBD product? Or is it the guy who worked in the coal mine in West Virginia for 30 years? Or is it the young lady who worked on the Ford assembly line for 20 years and, and blew out her back doing that? Are those the people that need the products? So the really interesting thing about this technology is not only is it more sustainable, not only do we take a three-month growth cycle down to a six-day fermentation, not only do we only make the product that we've instructed ourselves to make, but we take the cost from thousands of dollars to hundreds of dollars and potentially tens of dollars. We're literally cutting the, cutting the cost of some of these molecules upwards of 90 to 95% from the cost that it takes to get them from the plant. And what that ultimately means is access. Um, it's funny, we didn't talk about this, but, you know, it, from a policy perspective, right, I, I can't stand the, the, the anything that is that is government and is regulation. Um, I understand why some people think that we that we need all of these things. But, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far. But but what I always say is if you're thinking about policy or you're thinking about business, try and think about it from the perspective of the person who has the least don't think about it from the perspective of Kim Kardashian, or don't think about it from the perspective of your most powerful congressman. Think about it from the perspective of the guy in rural America or the kid in the inner city. How can they afford your products? How do we get them access to what you're doing? Um, and, and how will what you're doing affect and impact their lives? And I think when you do that, you start to have a new appreciation for how you build things, 
right? Um, and and that access piece of it was one of the most interesting reasons as to why we got into the cannabis space to begin with, because this stuff is just too expensive to do the traditional way. And so and so basically, positive environmental impact, um, you know, more sustainable, um, more cost effective. You know, what are the barriers here? What are kind of like the key barriers that you're facing? Yeah, it's regulatory. So, um, you know, from our perspective, we went from zero to now. Um, we can make a chemical called CBG. CBG is found a little bit in the plant. It is uh, what's known as the mother cannabinoid. Um, so CBG is what the plant uses to make THC, to make CBC, and to make CBD. So there's one more kind of step on the assembly line to make those those molecules that everybody's familiar with. We can already make that today, and we're going commercial to make that molecule at um, a fraction of the cost from the plant. We also figured out THC, THCV, and CBN. Um, but I can't scale THC and THCV and CBN. Um, even though we can do it technically, when I go to ingredient providers or contract manufacturers, they won't touch this stuff with a 10-foot pole because it's federally illegal. So really, the only products mm. we can bring to market right now at this moment in time are CBG and CBD. So we're going to bring those, we're going to bring those to market. And you know what I tell people is just base the model on that. You don't have to pay me for all the rest of the stuff. Uh, it'll all just be gravy. But the point of what we're doing is really to deconstruct nature into its individual components. And whether that be cannabis or whether that be, you know, whatever the next kind of programs that we have are kind of beyond cannabis, I want to be able to deconstruct and reconstruct nature in a way that's sustainable where we're not going into the ecosystem to provide human beings with the benefit, right? So, um, you know, where we are today is we're on the precipice of going commercial. We'll, we'll go commercial Q3, Q4 this year. We're talking to, you know, 20, 30 companies that, mm. um, that think these ingredients are, are interesting for their, their products and their experiences. Um, and then we'll leverage that into other apps. What do you... What do you think about um, the other kind of like 397 chemicals that the cannabis plant produces? And, you know, how much do we know about these <clears throat> these compounds and, you know, their use cases? Yeah, it's really fascinating. So I had a guy in here yesterday named Cody Peterson. Shout out to Cody. He's a uh, he's a he's actually a pediatric pharmacist. Uh, and he mm -hmm. finds himself in the hospital system here in Southern California treating kids. And he came across cannabis because Epidiolex, which was made by GW Pharma, was the first cannabis-derived therapeutic that we talked about a little bit earlier. It's a CBD medicine, is for childhood seizures. And mm -hmm. he said, wow, this is super interesting that this cannabis medicine has a positive impact on kids. It's not without its problems, but it has a positive impact. And he started digging in. Um, First of all, the cannabis plant does not make this stuff for human consumption or animal consumption. Interestingly, I think that it, it was the cannabinoids like THC and CBD were probably accidentally put in the cannabis plant somewhere along the line in nature because the cannabis plant doesn't make these for survival. So when weird stuff like that happens, it's usually not um, it's usually not. Oh, it, it has intended. no need. It has no need for No, Is it alien? Is cannabis alien? Dude, I wish that the <laughs> alien reports were out. I would have spent the entire I conversation. I wait. Can't wait. Is that the best ever? Um, so, 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 yeah. The 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 really interesting thing is all these cannabinoids are just starting to be studied, but we can't study them because we can't isolate them from the plant. Mm. 
Um, it's just too expensive. So for instance, one of the ones we're finding is very interesting is a molecule called THCV. They're finding it's an appetite suppressant. They're finding some of these molecules actually have help with monitor, with uh, leveling off glucose levels in diabetic patients. There's a lot of different applications here. And the reason is cannabinoids interact with something called your endocannabinoid system, which I learned from Cody yesterday is part of this larger kind of lipid control system that is found in your body that literally touches everything from your brain to your heart, to your lungs, to your pancreas, to your blood flow. Um, and what we're finding is these cannabinoids can, can kind of modulate some of those functions within the body. So that's the other really exciting part is we're going to be able to find out not only what's good for you, but also what is in this planet that might not be good, so good for you, right? What do we need to take out from the plant? And by deconstructing it, you're able to do that stuff. The other things are really flavors and what's called terpenes. Um, and these are found throughout nature. So for instance, one of the most prominent ones in cam cannabis is one called limamine. Limamine is also found in, in citrus peels. Um, it's found in a ton of plants, right? So these things kind of copy themselves throughout nature. And those terpenes are really easy to get. They're commodities. You can get them today because they're in all these other sources. And from an interaction perspective and an experience perspective, what's most interesting to me is what happens when we start combining these cannabinoids with things like omega-3 fatty acids or other terpenes and flavonoids that aren't found in cannabis, but found elsewhere in nature. So kind of the, the ideation and the, the R and D and kind of where these things can go is, is almost limitless just within our first app, right? I mean, there's just cannabinoids. Um, but the things you can make are, are even more interesting. I mean, there's a company bolt threads that had figured out how to make spider silk without the spiders. Spider silk is one of the most interesting fabrics in the world. And they literally, you can't, harvest it because when you put spiders together, they eat each other because they're carnivores. So these guys were like, well, let's remove the spiders and just ferment this stuff, right? So another company that just went public, Zymergen, that figured out how to make this really nasty chemical that's used on every touch screen and every OLED screen on the planet. And they figured out how to remove that traditional kind of chemical yucky production process and do it via fermentation right? Replacing that, that kind of legacy production. So where you can go with biology as a manufacturing tech is literally almost limitless. Um, we just wanted to get into a place where we could make, uh, where it's a massive market, we could scale it and we can make the most impact quickly. Right. And, and I don't think there's a better app than cannabinoids and, and the cannabis. Sector. What's, um, so, so we're basically, we've come up on time. We actually went over and around like midway through the episode, I realized that I was going to turn this into two episodes. Um, one where we kind of highlight kind of the personal stuff that we were chatting about. And then the second one, we're going to go into some more of the technical details in your, you know, your, your entrepreneurial journey. Um, cause there's so much here and I like definitely, you know, look up to you as someone that has a lot to share on the interpersonal side. So I wanted to make sure that we highlighted that, but of course, I didn't want to spend the whole time just talking about that because the work that you're doing is so important. So um, we do have a little more time since it's going to be two, uh, but I want to be mindful of your schedule as well. So I'm going to maybe just like fire off a couple of other you know questions. Um, you know, in this world of molecular biology, um, cellular agriculture, as you're calling it, you know, you're you're in touch with all these scientists and engineers. So like you're you have your finger on the pulse as to like what the possible is at this point, like. Where do you see us when your sons are our age? Like, what does kind of manufacturing look like in, you know, I don't know, even beyond our age, when your sons are kind of older, twice our age, let's say like 50 to 100 years? 
Yeah. I mean, dude, we live at such a really interesting time. And I'm sure that every single person who has ever done a podcast in the history of the earth has said that back, you know, to the 1600s, right? Because <laughs> um, everything is fascinating. But like, for instance, you know, Steve, who I mentioned before, Mr. Jervison, is looking at things like fission uh, energy and, and kind of replacing how we do energy uh, production. And you know, those are things that like, even like five years ago, people were like, that's a pipe dream. Like that'll never work. And now we're finding, well, wait a second, this might actually work. Right. Um, you know, in the tech world, in your ones and zeros world, people talk a lot about AI and machine learning and deep learning and yada, yada, yada. If we're honest with, was honest with ourselves, most of it is complete BS. None of it really works very well yet. Right. A lot of that has to do with, we don't have, you know, the data sets beyond, you know, what people post, uh, to show their fake lives on, on the internet. Um, but I think as we start growing <laughs> those data sets and you start melding this idea of ridiculous compute power, quantum computing, AI, deep learning, and you start melding that with the physical world, the code of life, DNA. I mean, if you think about it, going from two, one and zero to four ACs, Ts and Gs takes the level of difficulty up quite a bit. Right. Mm. Um, and and so I think what you're really going to see is an acceleration of our understanding of the physical world. And I think that understanding is going to lead to us being able to figure out how to use technology to be a be better steward of the planet. And I, I honestly believe that there is literally almost nothing that you can't make with a cell if you're talking about just pure chemistry, right? And life is chemistry. The question is, can you do it economically, right? So there are a lot of people right now trying to replace cows in the beef supply chain by fermenting cow stem cells. Memphis Meats is probably a leader, but there's a bunch of companies that are trying to do what's called cultured meat and remove animals from the supply chain. Um, they got into it for a lot of reasons, sustainability, animal cruelty, um, you know, just, you know, a cleaner supply chain where we don't have to worry about viruses coming from, you know, eating animals, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's a really tough one, man. I mean, our animal agriculture supply chain is pretty damn efficient, right? Like making cultured meat for a dollar a pound to compete with a hamburger is really hard. But you know what? In 20 years, we'll probably get there, right? And in 20 years, we'll mm. probably remove the need to farm animals. Um, and, you know, people get freaked out by that because they say, oh my God, my job is going to be gone. But the reality is we thought the same thing when the Romans got sewer systems and we thought the same thing during the industrial revolution and we thought the same thing during the internet. And what you find is these things tend to take longer than what the talking heads on the Ted talks say they're going to do. And over the course of decades, training changes and education changes. And the next group of people that come up in the workforce are doing these types of things, right? I mean, my, my, uh, my son called my mother Alexa the other day. Why? Because he's used to talking to a dot, right? Um, you know, when I was growing up, they put my, two my buttons. Nephew's, on one of my nephew's first words was Netflix. Yeah, right. And like when 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 I was growing up, when they put two buttons on the video game controller, I was like, "That's it, I'm done. This Let's is way go. too complicated, right? Like I can't I can't do it." So you know, I think what you what you find is is you know, as these technologies improve and as our access to information improves, you're just going to have a shift in kind of in kind of how things are done. And it's only going to accelerate, I think, 
not from compute. I think we're, you know, we're kind of, we're, we've kind of gotten so far on computing, not that it can't get better, but I think it's when we start melding these technologies and these, these ideas with the physical world. When we start saying, how do we lower our footprint? How do we leverage nature to actually keep us sustainable while at the same time keeping the planet healthy? Yeah. And to me, that's the, that's the biggest, most exciting. And nature's so damn efficient, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what the numbers are for the brain versus kind of the most intelligent AI, let's call it, but the AI can win, right? It can win at Go, it can win at chess, whatever. But from an energy efficiency standpoint, I think it's still like orders of magnitude worse than the human mind. Um, but I, I have to stat, I have to stat check that. Uh, it's just like nature is just, it just threw all of these cycles, right? Like thousands and thousands of years of cycles, of just <laughs> trial and error. Yeah. And but you, but you also have to remember that the brain is not just doing chess like, uh, OK, let's play chess against an A.I., but make sure that that A.I. is also ensuring that the computer is breathing, that the heart is beating, that the virus that my kids just made me is getting handled. Right. Like, think about what the brain is actually yeah. doing. It's not just playing chess. Right. Um, and, and you know, a I'm a fundamental point. I'm a fundamental believer in this, that I think every single disease is mental. Everyone, including the ones that most people think is biological. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a cancer ward and seen people at the same stage of the same cancer. And one of those people was gone in a week and the other one beats the shit out of that disease. And it was 100% a different mental state. I think the brain literally controls everything. Like you'll see these people who are now talking about gut health and how the gut microbiome is actually the brain running the world. I think that's nonsense. I think your gut health changes based on your mental capacity. I think it's a diagnosis, not a, not causal. Um, but I am a firm believer that mental health is literally the single biggest issue that we have to deal with as a species. Cause I think it drives everything else. And, and the more I see out there clinically and, and the more I see out there professionally, the more I believe in this, I haven't seen anything that's kind of brought me off of this, of this idea. Yeah, I I mean, we could definitely use to open a whole nother can of worms because that's obviously an issue that's like very, very close to my heart. And, you know, just so many lost friends and, um, you know, just so many stories of people just kind of struggling, you know, struggling with mental health issues. And like, I, I think I think most of our economic, political, um, cultural issues are tied to mental health issues, right, that we just don't understand, like the uh the virus of fear you know for example or like self hate which is prevalent um these things are just and they're they don't have an easy solution that we know of so it's it's kind of fascinating it'll be it's a fascinating space to explore and obviously the cannabis industry is working on you know resolving at least some of those issues but we just don't understand we like mental health we don't understand we don't understand even the brain in in the slightest like we're still so far away from really you know, understanding what what even kind of constitutes a conscious experience of this earth. Like, how do we even experience the beingness of Mark or Ben? We have no clue. We're so lost. No idea. We're so lost. And it, we act like we're so smart and so significant, but the reality is we don't have a clue, right? I mean, even in my own home, it's really difficult for me sometimes to come to grips with with things like anxiety, 
and things mm-hmm. like stress. Like people are like, Ben, you have a startup company and a family and like you, you know, you have two months of cash left to, before we did our bridge run. Like, how are you surviving? Like, aren't you stressed out? And I'm like, mm, not really. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand that emotion. Right. Mm. So I think that's the other thing that You're we lucky. have. I'm lucky, but at the same way. time, I'm lucky personally, but I'll tell you that it's unlucky for my relationships because mm. other people do feel that deeply. And my inability to understand that emotion causes a lot of tension. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of these things kind of <laughs> kind of compound right in, in, in all of your relationships where you you say to yourself, this person needs to feel a certain way because I feel a certain way because my experience is more important than that, that experience. And, and what I say is I think we cause ourselves a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety because we try and fit our square peg into somebody else's round hole, right? Instead of saying, I don't understand why this person is anxious or I don't understand why this person is depressed. Let me, let me just listen to them. And even if I don't understand it or agree with it, let me just nod. Right. Um, and, and, and try and have a little bit, a little bit of empathy instead. And I have this issue all the time. I always want to correct. I always want to help. I always want to get to an answer. And sometimes there's just not one. Right. And that part of my personality is really hard on some of my relationships. Right. Cause I, I just don't feel these things. It, it kind of is what it is to me, because again, I'm, you know, and it's probably from the loss of my brother where, you know, I kind of take this view of the world that um, I don't matter that much. And like whatever happens to me doesn't matter that much. Right. Uh, it may directly impact people around me for a short period of time. But to think that, that you know, whatever hard time I go through now is going to impact somebody five years from now that's close to me that I can't make up for. Like, that's not true. Right. So why am I stressed about it in the moment? That's just going to cause negative energy. So um, but. not everybody feels like that. And again, like you may say, well, that's great for you, Ben, but, but actually it's not causes a lot of tension in my life. Right. Because other people just don't have that, that, that chemistry. Right. Well, one day we'll have to, you know, break down the, the Ben brain in the lab to see if we can offer people a a more stress-free existence. I don't think we want to do that. I don't think we want to do that because there's a lot of complications that come with that. You, you'll, you'll be stress-free, but you'll be, you'll be answering some random person from New Zealand's email at 2.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. So, you know, pluses and minuses, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can, where can listeners find you if they're looking for you and they're looking for Celebre? Yeah. So I, um, I don't do any social media other than LinkedIn. Actually, if you go to my Instagram, it says, I don't use this thing, go to LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Ben Shirelli. Um, and I got off the Twitter cause it was just so toxic. You tried Twitter for like a week. I did. I and it was so toxic. I deleted the whole thing. I'm like, God, these people are so angry and I don't understand why. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Anybody can reach out to me anytime. Um, and, uh, for Celebre, we are out raising our series A. I think I told you we got our, we got our term sheet executed. We're going through docs, but we still have some room in the round. So if anybody out there is interested in, in kind of the cannabis space and biotech and the future of manufacturing, I'd welcome the discussion. Even if it's not for an investment in this round or a follow around, just interested, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have the conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. All have right, brother. Night. I love you. So good to see you. Um, you and you hopefully too. it'll You're be great. in person soon. Yes, sir. Hello, Look Up listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. 
Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Look Up every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.